And that's the ministry that you may have heard of that's open hearts, open minds, open doors. It was a big uh, whole celebration. So just our general conference had voted in millions of dollars to put ads on TV and to basically to show that Methodism is here because up until that point, we had no way to let people know other than local churches. That was the first national campaign in the history of the church. And they wanted me to do this internet part that was so brand new. So I remember they came to Lake Junaluska and they asked me what I thought. And so I took them over to the dining room because they were paying for the meal. So I figured I'd certainly get a meal out of this deal. And I went over there and I remember they had cloth napkins over at the Lambeth. Um, and I took one of the cloth napkins, which maybe I shouldn't have done, but I took it and I drew out with a pen what I had in mind to do for a national campaign. And I, and I told them, I said, now understand, once you start inviting people, guess what? They're going to come. <laughs> uh, so if you invite people, they're going to come. So don't be claiming you don't want them if you're going to invite them. And they said, oh, this is all part of general conference and we're fulfilling the mandate, so we want you to invite people. And I said, well, what I have in mind is not this old regular thing you know about invitation with the church and all this and that. I said, let's go to Hollywood. How do they uh, share with people a movie that's about to come out? Well, they do a trailer, right? You, you know, they do an image and they give clips of it. And, and I said, let's do a Hollywood website. And they said, we don't know what you mean. But I said, well, you will. And I had to hire some people out of Virginia to do some flash coding. And I had to get other people to do some data collection. And I built this team up and it took about a year and we finally released it. And when you first went to unitedmethodist.org, there would be a crossover on one side of the screen and the flame would dance across the bottom and come up on the cross and be a Methodist flame on the cross. And then it would, uh, have, it would come up in the foreground. It would say, open hearts, open minds, open doors. And I said, that's how you invite people is you got to catch their attention. So Jesus has caught their attention. He's gone to church with them. He stood up and he spoke with authority and he called down one of their senior members and told them, you're not with God, you're with the other side, so you need to straighten up. Jesus had already laid down the gospel with authority and people were convicted. And so now he does what happens. He uh, expects us when he shows the miracle to invite him into our lives. So understand that the only real power we have individually, is we have free will. God is giving us the ability to invite him. He won't mess with us if we don't invite him. If we don't open the door, he won't come in. He's not that type of God. Our Savior is not that type of Savior. He's not a bully. He's not going to kick in the door and say, I'm going to save you no matter what. Our God has given us the only power we truly have. The only power we have at all in our entire life is this free will of inviting Christ into our life or not. And most people we meet, they don't invite Christ, and then they wonder why Christ isn't around. They don't invite God, and then they wonder why God isn't around. And they complain and say, well, where's God? Why, why isn't God helping me? Well, you haven't opened your heart. You haven't opened your door. You haven't opened your mind to God being in your life. But understand, once you open that door, and the disciples this day invited Jesus back to the home, 
once you open that door, this is what happens, that he will make a difference. So what happens is this invitation starts with the heart. Once we open the door to the Lord, our heart must open up. He doesn't want our mind. I was saying this to somebody the other day. They were saying just how the faith is something that they think about and they ponder upon. And I said, but you got to feel it. I said, it's not just enough to think about it. You can fall in love and you can think about it all you want to. <laughs> you can be a young person and find that special somebody under the moon at Lake Waccamaw, me and Leon. I could have thought about her all day long, and I did many days when I was in college. I even resigned as president of my social fraternity because I wanted to be with Leon. I told those uh, you know, brothers at uh, you know, college, I said, you guys, uh, you're not as pretty as she is, and I don't want to be around you. I want to be around her. See, you can think about it all you want to, but until you feel it, it don't mean nothing. It don't mean nothing. By the way, that's going to tell you who's going to win the Super Bowl today. Whoever feels it, whoever feels it, they're going to go out there and if Philadelphia thinks they're going to think about it, we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to do this and that. We're going to stop Brady. I'm going to say, whoa, you're not stopping Brady. Because I done told you, um, I'm a Brady fan. I'm not a Patriots fan, but Brady won me over when he beat us. And I figured, well, if you can't beat them, have them join you. That's what I say, invite them in. But anybody tries to outthink the Patriots isn't going to win. You got to feel it. You got to go on emotion. You got to go on heart. So when we said in this uh, just whole igniting ministry campaign, open hearts, I was saying to the leadership, you open this door and people come in and they come in with their hearts. You better be ready to understand their hearts are broken. People are broken. We're so fragile. We're so fragile. It's so easy. I mean, even a paper cut would tell you how fragile we are. You can be a big old tough guy and you get a paper cut. Oh, I got a boo-boo. I can't believe how bad it hurts. Paper cuts hurt, don't they? Man, they hurt. You ever broke your toe? Oh, mercy, that hurts. Got out the shower one time, broke my toe. I snapped it right in two and I had a tennis tournament and I was oomping and groaning the whole time I played. Uh, I didn't win, and I felt bad, but the point was that you can't do anything for a broken toe. You just got to live with it. You can get tight socks, and you can bind it maybe to the next toe, but that hurts worse. See, see, there's some things you have to feel to experience. And Jesus goes home with the disciples, and they're not only opening the door, but they're opening the heart. And why do we know that the heart's been opened? Because instantly the need shows up. So when Christ enters our life, he sees what we need. He says, okay, in this case, well, so just a mother-in-law is sick. And so Jesus, what does he do? He goes in there, he grabs her hand, he prays over her, and she's instantly healed. So his heart has been opened, his compassion for our lives. See, God cares about us. God cares about us. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be well. He wants us to be successful. He wants us to do all we can in all the ways we can and all the times we can. God wants us to win. 
God wants us to be the champions. He wants us to be number one. He doesn't want us to be the loser. He doesn't want us to be the downtrodden. He doesn't want us to be the broken. He doesn't want us to be the loveless. He wants us to be loved. He wants us to be cared for. He wants us to find a soulmate. He wants us to find somebody who cares and loves us. He wants us to be fed. Amen to that. And what does the mother-in-law do? Immediately after she's healed, what does she do? She serves him. She goes and fixes some food for him. I think it's just amazing. So here they are gathered there. Jesus is invited back after he's just done his great thing at the synagogue. He went to church, came home with the family, and the heart has been opened now. They opened up the door. Jesus enters in. He looks with compassion upon them, and he helps them. God is in the business of helping us. God wants to help us because guess what? We need help. <laughs> we need help. It, it, it's what's the riddle of the Sphinx? Do you know the riddle of the Sphinx? This is an ancient story, goes way back. It's something I remember from class, actually, from college. There was a legend that there was a monster outside the town big bad monster, and every young person who wanted to go and find the world had to go past this monster, and the monster would ask them a question. If they didn't answer properly, he would eat them. It was a way that the parents kept the children home by scaring them by the monster. Well, this one boy, he decides he finally wants to leave town and go on his own and find his own way in life, and he goes to the edge of town, and he said, there's no monster, and suddenly a monster pops out right in front of him on the path. And the monster looks at him, and the boy looks at the monster, and he's scared he's going to get eaten. And the monster said, if you can answer me this riddle, you can pass by. What has three, uh, yes, he said, what has four legs, what has two legs, and what has three legs? And the boy, he was a sharp boy. He learned his lessons. He knew what to say. And he said, we are. He said, man, that we crawl on all fours, we walk on twos, and we use a cane when we're older. He said, you can pass by. Now, what that is in psychology, for those that um, would study that, is that's the idea of dependence. When you're a baby, you totally depend on a parent to give you uh, not only nurture, but love and care and shelter and warmth. So you're on fours. Then you become independent, where you walk on twos. You think you're your own man or own woman. You're going to live your own life until you realize that that's not enough and you need somebody. You need something more. You need a covenant. You need a relationship. And so you come to codepend. So it's, it's a dependence, independence, codependence. If you want to know your stages of life, that's it. Some of you right now are dependent. You're like me. I'm a baby. I'm just a baby. I'm, I'm dependent. Some of you are independent. Some of you, oh, you, you don't take directions very well. You're lost, and somebody say, you're lost. I'm not lost. I know where I'm at. No, you don't. Yes, I do. I know where I'm at. No, you don't. Well, I, I know where I'm at, and I know where I'm going. See, that's independence. Then when you have codependence, you depend on somebody else. That's usually that significant other, that you know, family member, a parent, a spouse, even a child, that we learn that. See, see Jesus enters our life so we become, guess what? Not independent. Christ doesn't want us to have independence. There, this isn't a democracy. <laughs> this isn't every person to vote in heaven. Do you think in heaven you're going to get up there and go, God, I got, I got an idea. Uh, God's going to say, who, what? who let him in? And said, uh, Peter, did you let him in? 
Uh, well, well, he had the criteria he got in. Well, he shouldn't be in here because he's independent. God doesn't want us to be independent. He doesn't want us to be codependent. You know, some people say, well, uh, I've got my faith and I've got my life and I live my life with my faith and I don't have any problem. I balance the two of them. I'm saying that you don't truly have faith if you think God is a co-pilot. God isn't a co-pilot. God is the pilot. He's flying the plane. I don't know how to fly the plane. I don't want to fly the plane. Don't give me the wheel to the plane, the lever to the plane. Lord, you fly the plane. In other words, you take my life, Lord, not me. Because if I take it, I'll mess it up. I'll make the wrong decisions. I want to see if you want to be successful in business, let God get a hold of you and your business, and you will be successful. You want to be successful in relationship, let God get a hold of it. Let Him be the one. Become dependent of the Lord. Become like a child to Him and say, Lord, I need you. Every night when you go to bed, you say, Lord, I need you tomorrow. Help me get through this day. Every morning when you wake up, say, Lord, get me through this day and help me do what you would have me do. Become dependent on God. And amazing things will happen. So what happened is that Jesus enters the house, they open the door, his heart is open, his compassion is pouring out, he helps them, and then he does this wonderful thing, he heals them. Now helping and healing are two different things. Helping means you just patch it. You remember in the old days when you patched tires? I guess you still patch tires, but used to, you had to patch them a lot more. There was always somebody who could patch a tire, and certainly that happens now. But people just, they just, they just buy tires that have been remade, or they buy new tires. Well, the fact is, is that we need to be helped. When you're helped, it means you got to get through the day. Lord, help me get through today. Help me get, you know, through this situation. But that's not healing. That's not healing. Healing is when you're not just helped through the day, but you no longer even have the problem. The problem has gone away. The issue has gone away. And see, Jesus is healing here because what happens is the whole town shows up at the doorsteps of the home. And every one of them come in line. And Jesus is standing there. The word's already spread. He has power over demonic forces. He has power over illness. He is a man of great power and authority. Here he is at the home. They come to see them, and they're lining up, and Jesus is blessing every one of them. He is saying, okay, if you open your heart to me, you better be ready to deal with me. Because our God is a jealous God. Our God doesn't want us worshiping any other gods, period. He doesn't want us to worship mamma or the world. He doesn't want us to worship money or power. He doesn't want us to worship lust or greed. He doesn't want us to sit there and be two-faced and do one thing and then claim we do another. He wants us to worship only him. The day is going to come in our lifetime, especially you kids, you'll be able to go down to the store and buy something of another God and create a little altar in your house to another God. Oh, you're saying that won't ever happen? Yes, it is. It's happening right now. They did the survey. They asked young people what religion they are, and most of them will put Satanist or agnostic. They don't even put Christian. It's the minority. We've become the minority in this culture. Now, some people say that's all bad and we should somehow make the politics happen so that won't happen. Sisters and brothers, if we got to hold a sword on somebody, then that's not conversion, is it? 
That's not what uh, the Islamic hordes did to the Christians in Spain where they took the sword and held it to their throats and said, do you believe in, in Islam? And then they would convert them. They consider anything a conversion like that. We Christians don't want a conversion like that. We don't want someone who doesn't give their heart to the Lord. We would need people who are dependent on God. We don't want people who are independent because they're independent. They're going to mess up the church. They're going to do what that man did in that synagogue. He was doing it his way instead of God's way. See, he wants us to invite him in. And once we open the door, God will enter in. And what he does is he looks around our life and he says, you know, this is pretty good. You've done good, but here you can do better. Here you can do better. That's why I have an affinity. I, I, I love coaches. I was invited by Lewis the other day over in Lillington, the great town of Lillington, the town I used to frequent when I was in uh, you know, high school. And before every home game, I would go to Hardy's and eat five hamburgers. He'd give me strength, you know, of Hercules. I did. Uh, they had the Hardy's there. They didn't have all that other stuff. And I remember that. And uh, so I went the other day with Lewis to these coaches. And lo and behold, I was sitting next to Coach Farrell, my football coach. And I was sitting next to my principal, Mr. Ennis. He was there. So here I am years later, 1980, so whatever that is. And I'm sitting next to uh, just my coach and my principal. And I said to my principal, Mr. Ennis, I said, Mr. Ennis, you remember me? He said, I remember you, Jerome. I said, you know, I didn't come to you in trouble except one time. He said, really? He said, I don't remember you ever coming in trouble. And I said, yeah, it was in Miss Myrtle Smith's class. Uh, there was a boy using bad language, and Miss Myrtle had left the class. And this boy was using bad language in front of the girls, and I told him to quit it, and he didn't quit it. And I got mad, and, and I picked him up and threw him against the wall. He said, I don't remember that. And I said, yes. And Miss Myrtle walked in and she panicked and thought I'd gone crazy. And so she called you and you come up there and brought me down to the office. He said, Jerome, I really don't remember that. And I said, and you told me uh, that it was a good job that you patted me on the back and let me go. And he said, I still don't remember that. Now, somebody has a bad memory here. Now, I'm going to claim it's him, but it could be me. But the fact is, is, is that uh, uh, I was invited to his office. And, and once I was invited, it was his authority, not mine. See, when you invite God into your life, it's his authority, not yours. And this invitation is an invitation where God can change a life. And it was so amazing that so Lewis had me read a poem about the 13 overtime game that's so historical around here. You know, the 13 overtime game, and some of you played in that game, Mr. Frank, I believe, did, and some others. Well, he had me read a poem on that, and I couldn't read it because I left my glasses outside, my reading glasses. and so Mr. Ennis, you know, my principal, gave me his glasses. Now think about that. Your principal gives you reading glasses. That means you're both old is what it means. <laughs> and, and, and he was honored to give me his glasses, and I was embarrassed to take them because I'm trying to read it, and I can't make it out, and I'm reaping his glasses, and suddenly, whoa, I can see it. See, he gave me what I needed, and, and I didn't want to take it because of pride, and I said, oh, I can get through this, but I would have messed that poem up, and Lewis would have been mad at me. He would have not taken me to play golf, or he would have been mean to me in some way, not feeding me on the 1st of January. So I took the glasses. And he gave me the glasses, and I put on the glasses. In other words, uh, he entered into the relationship. He offered help. I accepted help, and then he healed me to see. 
He gave me the power to see. And that's what the faith does. The faith allows us to enter into a full relationship with God. God doesn't want only a part of us or a piece of us or a broken nature of us. He wants who we are. He wants the best we can be. Somebody said that when the Panthers played, you remember a couple years ago they played against Denver, and we should have won that game, frankly. I'm still upset about that. Um, they said that what happened was before the game, two hours before the game, Cam Newton and the Panthers ran out on the field and were jumping around and all excited and saying they were going to win the game. And one of the announcers said he privately said, uh-oh, they're going to lose. And the reason was they came out at the wrong time. See, they were supposed to come out when they needed to come out instead of what they thought they needed. And they go out there and they think they're going to win it. And I can tell you right now, you can win a lot of things before you ever play, but you end up losing them every time. How you do it is this. You deal with it when it happens. You look around, you say, Lord, I got to get through this. And God will provide a way. Doesn't mean that we always live on chance, because this is not chance. Doesn't mean we always live with chaos. This is not chaos. It means we trust the Lord. He is better than the automobile place. <laughs> he is better than those that fix our lives. He's better than the doctors who may fix our bodies. See, the Lord is very, very trustworthy. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and little did they know by opening their door, they now were going to face the judgment of God. Because that's what happens. See, God holds us accountable. He looks at our life and he says, you can't have that and have me. You can't be codependent. You have to be dependent on me. You cannot worship that God and worship me. So you got to get rid of that God or, or I'm going to leave. And God does leave. And I've seen you know, God leave a life, and I've seen people who have been broken and abandoned because their faith has, they think, failed them, when in reality they failed their faith. They didn't live up to God. They didn't depend on God. I tell you right now, I've been to the edge of the grave, and there's no other place you can depend but God. I've seen my father die in front of my eyes. I've seen my mother pass, and the only way I could make it was to trust in God and God alone for my salvation. I stood with their graves and read the sermons, and I shared with the gospel, and the only way I I could do it with God as my leader. I've stood with church people who've been through the hard times, difficult times, and the only way it could be done was depending on God. The only way we're going to make it is depending on God. Trust on God. So that evening they brought all the ones who were in great need. The whole town gathered at the door. Imagine it's the very door Jesus walked in. He's now going out. Open hearts, open minds, open doors. And Jesus healed many with various diseases. And he drove out the ones that had demons. And then uh, he told the demons not to tell people who he was because they knew his true nature. And I can tell you right now, the devil don't want us giving ourselves to Christ. The devil's trying everything in his power to say you don't need him. You got yourself. You got your own way, your own power, your own money, your own prestige, your own pride. But you got to set all that aside. And you got to say, Lord, I need you. I need you in my life.
That's the only way I can get through this. You're my Savior. Let us pray. Dear Lord, open up our hearts that we may see the power of invitation as we become more dependent on you. Give us grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll go to our service of Word and Table 3, found on page 15. And immediately after that, um, we'll have our hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Um, and then uh, we'll go over and we'll eat the meal together. So on page 15, I invite those who are helping me today to come forward. <laughs>